When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah. This is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. On December 3rd of 2022, last year, last month, we had the pleasure, the honor, the ultimate achievement of broadcasting live from L.A. Comic Con at the L.A. Convention Center with a live panel featuring director Joe Dante and executive producer Brendan Hay. Now, Joe, you might know. Joe directed Gremlins. Joe directed Inner Space. Joe directed The Howling, arguably the greatest werewolf movie of all time, not including Teen Wolf 2. Joe directed The Burbs, movies that have influenced us as people, as artists. And then our buddy Brendan Hay joined us as well. Brendan, EP of so many amazing things, um, and most importantly, the upcoming Gremlins, The Secrets of the Mogwai, out later this year we think we certainly hope but fortunately they were with us to chat about movies and music you know joe has his own podcast and he has been interviewed before but he's never been on our show the movies that made me movies that made me it's a great it's a great podcast it's very it's very cerebral if you guys haven't listened to it it's just like a filmmaker's paradise they just have guys come on and well guys and gals but they talk about uh movies that influence them as as filmmakers or you know showrunners or, or, or whoever or whoever they happen to be whether they're the directors composers writers real real good stuff you should listen to the one with uh with ethan hawk zach because it's really interesting oh they talk about the explorers then right entire episode devoted to the explorers wow wow yeah joe joe hits on the explorers he hits on my favorite movie of his inner space uh, obviously the Burbs, tell some great stories about the Burbs. And Brendan is great to have on the show because he's kind of that connection between us and Joe Dante. 
and Brendan will be back on the show. Hopefully Joe will be back on the show down the road, but we wanted to share this with you. It was a great opportunity to be at Comic-Con and have Jonathan London and the Geekscape crew uh, get us in there. We joined Geekscape earlier this year, and my gosh, it's been nothing but joy being a part of the team. You guys might not be aware, we are part of the Geekscape network, which is run by our friend Jonathan London. Tons of amazing geekified shows all over the lineup. We've certainly promoted some shows in the past, uh, but we don't always mention it. And so now it's important to mention, hey, Geekscape, check it out, all, all the other shows. And this show today, totally, totally live. So you hear a, you actually hear a live audience in front of us. Yeah, hopefully this will be something we can do in 2023. And check out Geekscape's plethora of shows. It's literally everything and anything you can think of that you're a fan of that has to do with fandom of some sort. So go check out the whole slate of Geekscape shows. Geekscape.net. Enjoy this bonus episode of our interview with Joe Dante and Brendan Hay at LA Comic Con, courtesy of Geekscape. Today, uh, we are thrilled, thrilled, gentleman to my left, good friend of mine, we've known each other for years, um, you know him as writer of such unknown things as The Daily Show, The Simpsons, Robot Chicken, he's the executive producer of Dawn of the Croods, he's the executive producer of Harvey Girls Forever, and of course, he's the executive producer of the upcoming Gremlins, The Secrets of the Mogwai, Coming whenever HBO Max read, figures out what they are and, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah, so, uh, but please welcome, so happy to have you here. Brendan Hay, Thank everybody. you so much for having me. Thank you, guys. And the gentleman on my right needs no introduction. Uh, I consider him, along with Dustin as well, I think he would agree, one of the greatest directors of all time. He's responsible for Gremlins. I don't know about that. Gremlins too. <laughs> I'll just shout out some movies and you can cheer along. Gremlins. Yeah. Gremlins 2. Yeah. The Burbs. Yeah. The Howling. Yeah. Inner Space. Yeah. Piranha. Yeah. Please welcome Joe Dante. Dante. Uh, you may be humble and say, no, 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 don't put me in that category, but sincerely. We hold you in that regard. You were responsible for bringing some of the most joyful moments to our childhood, getting to pass it on to our families. Thank you for just being the one who brought these films to life. Yeah, but I got in on your formative years. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you weren't particularly uh, critical. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But Joe, here's the, here's the test, right? Because we're a nostalgia podcast, and we, you know, things that, that triggered us as kids, positive, negative, whatever, we revisit those things on a daily basis. And I'll tell you, most of the time, it's 
it's not good, you know, like something that we loved. <laughs> but I cannot think, and I'm not even, I'm not blowing smoke, I cannot think of a movie of yours that you watch now, it, it still holds up. Like, they're, they're maybe even better. I mean, honestly, like, yeah. The Burbs is hilarious. And, it's, it's, uh, it's, and I just rewatched it recently, and you, you just have this moment where you're doing, like, slow close-ups of every character in the movie, and you slow close-up on the dog, <laughs> and it's like... It's genius. Well, it was uh, not, not that appreciated when it was new. Um, in fact, most of the movies that I did were not, not, not very appreciated when new. And in fact, most of the movies that people love from the 80s were movies that didn't get very good reviews and often yep. didn't make any money. Uh, but the miracle of home video uh, changed all that. And so now we, uh, w many of us who uh, made pictures that were considered, well, I'll never work again after that one, uh, <laughs> that, that, that people don't remember. They all think they were hits because people still mm -hmm. like them. And uh, I mean, The Burbs, uh, it, it was the worst review I ever got. It was said, uh, as, as empty as a movie can be without actually creating a vacuum. <laughs> uh, wow. thought, Whoa, this guy's got no sense of humor. Um, but now it's it's actually it's my second most popular movie, yeah. oddly enough. <laughs> you know, oftentimes people say Gremlins and is is held in this high regard as a Christmas movie. I think we can all agree that Gremlins is a Christmas movie. It's kind of perfect timing that we're doing this in December, having you on our show. But um, I got to fanboy a little bit on Inner Space, because if it wasn't for Inner Space, I don't think I would have been introduced to Sam Cooke. Quite honestly, really, yeah. yeah. For real. Can you talk a little bit about Inner Space and, and, and how that all came to be? Well, Inner Space, which is another movie that didn't make any money uh, <laughs> and, and got not, not very good reviews, um, but people did like it when they went to see it. Uh, the, the thing about Inner Space was that when I was first um, introduced to the script, it wasn't a comedy. It was a, it was a straight spy movie with the plot of a guy gets shrunk and put inside another guy. But, and I said, this is ridiculous. You can't, <laughs> you can't make a serious movie out of this. And so I said, this will never work. And I went off and did other things. And then in the meantime, they hired a new writer, uh, Jeff Bohm. And he, he said, well, what if it, his, his take on the material was, what would, what would it be like if, if uh, Dean Martin was shrunk down and injected inside Jerry Lewis? <laughs> and that I understood, because I used to watch Martin and Lewis pictures when I was a kid. And uh, it, is, uh, it was one of the most fun movies to make because the cast was just wonderful to work with and Marty Short particularly is, was so funny. And so, uh, and he would beg in Catherine Hepburn's voice, please, one more take, one more take, Joe. And, one more take. And, uh, and, 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 and take 10 would be different than take one. And sometimes you'd wonder, is that the same movie even? Wow. Um, but he was, he was great and, and, and we, had, we, had, you know, we had Spielberg backing behind us, so we had money for good special effects. In fact, it won an Academy Award for Best Special yeah, Effects sure for did. Dennis Buren. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of my favorite movies that I've done, and it was also one of the most fun to make, and it was released exactly the way I wanted it to be. In fact, I've, I've been pretty lucky, generally, in that most of the movies that I've done have been pretty much released the way I wanted. There's, there are a couple of glaring exceptions, but, but for the most part, I, whatever's wrong with them, I can, you can blame me for. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anyone you want to blame somebody else for? Yeah, Explorers. <laughs> well, can we talk, who's a fan of Explorers, by the way, in the audience? I mean, it's a beautiful film. You know, we were watching that movie actually not that long ago, and the wonder and the, 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 
the excitement that the kids have like of building this machine and that I always say the first two-thirds of that film are just magical from a child perspective they really are because that's all we want to do is go into the forest and build something and have it come to life um, it changed right from the what it was originally supposed to be at the end well, it, the problem is it wasn't really supposed to be anything at the end because they, they, they were convinced at Paramount that this was going to be their next big hit. And they hired Wolfgang Peterson to direct it. Uh, and Wolfgang wanted to make it in Bavaria. And they didn't want to make it in Bavaria because they thought it would be too much like never-ending story. Mm. And so uh, they, they, they came to me. And, the, and the, the problem with the script was that it was all great until they went to outer space and then they met some aliens and played baseball and went home. So, but there was a there was a crush on to have this thing out at a particular time, no matter what. And so, uh, even though it wasn't quite there yet, we said, you know, I, I they said, well, I said it's impossible to get this thing out when you want. And they said, but wouldn't it be nice if it could come out that? And I said, yeah, it'd be nice. But well, that meant I'll do it. And so uh, we we plunged ahead and made the picture and uh, making it up, making the last part of it up as we went along. And uh, unfortunately, while we were shooting, the regime changed at the studio, and the people who hired me were gone, and gone, had gone over to Disney. And the marketing people took over, and one of the things that... Uh, oh, that oh, mark as soon as you say back. marketing... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. This is literally... Yeah. The, the red, bull, the red uh, dot hits you also. This is, is now... Somebody, somebody being executed <laughs> upstairs. <laughs> 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 alarm enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the gremlins. When, when, the, when the new regime comes in, they, uh, the one thing they don't want to have happen is that the previous regime's movie is a big hit. Mm. And so they had this whole slate of movies that were unreleased, and they didn't, they did dump them. They just said, we don't, we don't, just get rid of these. And so the movie was released unfinished. And so it was the rough cut, and, uh, and there was nothing I could do about it. It was like, well, move it up two months and get rid of it. And so uh, it was never completed. So it's, 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 you're watching the rough cut. Oh, there we go. <laughs> it was getting too romantic in here. Thank God. <laughs> well, it's all right. The rough cut of the lights worked out. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the rough cut, like, to this day. Whoa, there we go. Well, it, it is literally like gremlins the gremlins now. that are out. You know somebody's <laughs> just leaning Thank against you. the light switch outside or yeah, something, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so... Really? I, right. So I think what the, the thing the, the, the thing I was thinking about with with explorers was it, even though that may, that's the rough cut, it's still such a genuine heartfelt film. Like in these characters, like I don't feel like we have these characters necessarily today, child characters that feel authentically childlike. You know, where they're talking to each other in a, in a way that feels authentic, or they're looking at each other that feels like you know the look that they have. Well, it's hard to do that. I mean, it, the, the, the problem at the time in the 80s was that uh, most of the child actors were uh, Disney graduates. Yeah. And they had been taught to be cute. And that's how you get jobs. That's how you get commercials. That's how you, you, know, you, you have a career is that you just, people just think you're adorable. And so there's a certain <laughs> phoniness that yeah. comes in. Uh, and, and so we, we managed to find kids who were, acted like real kids. And, um, and they had things to say about their characters. And, and they made them you know, much more believable. And it's, it's, um, I, I, for some reason, not having any kids of my own, uh, I have kids in almost every movie I do. I don't, I don't know why that is, but uh, I do enjoy working with kids. I mean, it's the one thing that you, that child actors give you is that you never know what to expect. You mm. just constantly can be surprised. There's no method. There's nothing going on other than what they feel at the moment. 
and Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix being two examples there of yeah. people that went on to, you know, yeah. the rest is history. But you didn't have any child actors in inner space, so to speak. <laughs> you had a baby in there, spoiler alert. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, not, a, it's not a real baby. No. <laughs> it's not? I just want to go back to that really quick because when you talked about it being one of your favorite films that you did back then, uh, there, there's someone in that film that Dustin and I talked about who has reoccurring in many of your films, and that's Robert Picardo yeah. as the cowboy. Yeah. And obviously, in, and he's in Burbs and the Gremlins and et cetera, et cetera. Um, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with him and how that all came to be? Well, you know, the character of the cowboy couldn't be done today. Uh, no. It's, uh, it would not, <laughs> first of all, he's playing a, a character outside of his ethnicity. Ooh, yes. not supposed to do that anymore. Uh, but he's hilarious in it. And yeah. uh, he's one of the funniest actors I've ever worked with. And I, I, ever since the first time I worked with him on The Howling, mm -hmm. uh, where he was the only actor who would sit still for nine hours having his, with his makeup on. Nine um, hours. But uh, we, I've had, if you see my movies, the same people appear over and over again. Yeah. And, it's, and, and that's not just true of my movies. It's any director. You look at their work and you'll see all these same people appearing both in front of the camera and behind the camera. And it's because you, you work out a working relationship with people and they're your friends. And, it, and, and making movies is not that easy. So it, anything that makes it easier, such as having it be a communal experience with a bunch of people who like each other, uh, it makes the product better, I think, or at least it has in my, yeah. in my experience. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Agree. And certainly yeah. you work with many people multiple times, Dick Miller, mm -hmm. uh, Wendy Shaw, uh, right? Many people, so, so it really is about that having that cohesive group for you and just knowing who's going to show well, it, it makes it makes it easier to cast when you're reading a script because you know you have a, a, a talent pool that you can mm -hmm. pull from you know it doesn't mean you should put people into parts that they're not suited for uh, but um, it's one of the joys of making movies for me is, is actors that's a good reason to make movies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> certainly until the paramount gets involved and um, we don't talk about that. right we don't. <laughs> The lights are finally working. We, we, yeah, I know. Yeah, the gremlins yeah, have worked their kinks out. And speaking of gremlins, um, can we talk a little about the, the what's upcoming with the gremlins and how that's all coming to be? Brendan, you mean the long-awaited? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't be as awaited as it is. And it, it, it should, should have already been seen. Yeah, that. exactly. Um, now Warner Brothers is going to take place. I was going to say, just yeah. Yeah, right. look out for the red dots yeah. of Sniper. But, um, Feel it. No, um, yeah, 2023, uh, barring further... <laughs> Um, Disruption. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, it should have already been out, but it's ready to go. So once Warner Bros. gets whatever becomes of HBO Max sorted. Um, but yeah, it will be out in 2023. It's looking great. It, uh, actually, yes, we've gotten to show the uh, pilot twice now, at least once at the Odyssey Animation Festival, once at San Diego Comic-Con. It so, was here. No. Yeah, uh, I, mean, no yeah, I wish I had something to yeah. share. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it looks great. It is set in 1920s uh, China. It is a prequel to the two films. We're talking about Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai, Thank to you. be clear. Yeah, we, didn't, we, didn't say the, we didn't say the title, but It's to answer the ever-present question, when are you going to do Gremlins 3? Yes. That's all anybody has. Right. Well, where is it? You know, well, here it is. This is it. And, yeah. it's, and, it's, and it's, it dodges all the problems of, of, of being a sequel to a sequel. It's, it's a prequel. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's ta it takes the key Luke character, Mr. Wing, and, and he's now a kid. In, uh, in China, yeah. and he meets the Mogwai for the first time. Mogwai's very old, he doesn't look it, but, um, and, uh, and it's animated, and it's really nicely animated, and, um, and it's funny, and it's cute, and it gets, gets 
it, it's, it's sort of a little dark and then it gets a little darker, but it's still okay for kids. Yeah. And it, it's, it sort of channels the spirit of the first two movies. Yeah, that was the, the big goal was exactly that. That was uh, it was great. Joe consulting throughout the project and like kind of being able to just be our north star on everything. And it was always that thing of what I love about the movies. I think I told just one of the first times we met, but it's like for me, I feel like my sensibilities in so many ways were set by the first two Gremlins, seeing them as a kid. Because I saw the first one uh, probably as a little younger than I should have when my older cousin I went with my older cousins to see it. Um, Thankfully, in my own head, I told myself the, the Santa story couldn't totally be true. That it must have just been, it's just a dad, it's fine. Um, so some good cognitive dissonance saving me. But it was like, that totally gave me nightmares, but also set this love of like, oh, horror can also be fun. That horror is not just something that's scary, it's actually a really good time. And then the second one was just the, oh my god, you could do this? It's like you can do all these, you can break the fourth wall and Hulk Hogan can come in, or you can have your movie introduced by Bugs and Daffy, and like just, it was this eye-opening thing of what was possible. So wanting to bring as much as we possibly can into the show of that and make sure the laughs are genuinely funny, the scares are genuinely scary, um, and yeah, if we do traumatize a few kids, and, uh, then all the better for it. And there's some, uh, some voice uh, cameos yes. uh, from people who were in the movies. Yes, um, and a lot of little Easter eggs uh, yeah. trying to tie it's, in. It's, it's, fans can watch it and say, oh, I didn't see that before. You know? <laughs> uh, just jumping back to the Phoebe Cates monologue that Brendan <laughs> referenced, and if anyone hasn't seen Gremlins, you know, the, the Cliff's Notes is, why doesn't Phoebe Cates' character believe in Santa? <laughs> and also, why has her dad been missing? are kind of wrapped up in, in one, the darkest monologue in 80s movies, Christmas, the darkest Christmas monologue, I would yeah. say. Um, what was the origin of that monologue? Well, that was actually uh, in, the, in Chris Columbus's original script, which he was not even, it wasn't even written to be produced, it was a, a sample, a writing oh, sample. Really? Yeah, wow. he, he was, you know, he, he just said, here's what I can do. And when Steven Spielberg saw it, he thought it would make a good horror movie, because he wanted to start his new company. And the, the safest thing always is to make a horror movie because they usually make money. And, um, and so his, his idea was to make a low-budget horror film, which is why he came to me, because that was my specialty at the time. Uh, and then it, came, it became apparent that in order to make these gremlins even halfway believable, it was going to cost uh, more than $1.98. And so, uh, we went, so he went to Warner Brothers and it became a studio movie, in which case everything changed a little bit because the original script was much darker than the, the actual movie was. And the, the mom got killed and her head got bounced down the stairs and <laughs> they, they ate the dog. I mean, it was really, it was really, it was gruesome. It was gruesome. And, um, but in, 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 in trying to make it more family friendly, uh, it actually improved it. And, um, and so now it's uh, become this weird touchstone. I mean, this movie is what, almost 40 years old or, or longer? And I go to screenings all over the world where, and, and where they, huge amounts of people turn out to see it either for the first time or I, I, to bring their kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, it always plays well with kids. I mean, I, I, there's a screening in France, it was dubbed in French, and it was packed with kids and they were just on the floor. They just thought it was great. So I, I, none of us who worked on the movie can account for why it happens to still be so popular, uh, but we're all very grateful. <laughs> 
So, so that monologue was a remnant of a, of a horror movie. The re and it was originally not from that character. There was another character. Uh, there was a, a scene in McDonald's where the Gremlins had, uh, had eaten all the people and left all the McDonald's. <laughs> and, 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 and the, the guy who owned the, uh, the McDonald's franchise, who was a character at the time, had that monologue. And so when all that disappeared, we, uh, Phoebe's character was the girl. And I thought she needed something interesting about her, you know, to yeah. make it make it play. And so we said, well, she let's, she's, uh, she doesn't like Christmas. Why doesn't she like Christmas? And then so we said, here's why she doesn't like Christmas. And so we repurposed that that particular um, story. And uh, at the at the first um, days dailies of that story, the editor turned to me and said, this is never going to be in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been sad if, uh, well, if Ronald McDonald was sitting down on the curb giving that story and clown makeup, that would have made a whole other different scene, I think, for that film. So, you know, I've shown the film to my son. He loves it. Gremlins 2, he loves even more because it's so over the top. Uh, I recently, obviously, revisited Gremlins 2 again and found it so uh, engaging and so entertaining and so over the top to the next level. I don't think I quite got it as much when I was a kid. And so now, as an adult, through a nostalgic lens, um, I find it fantastic, you know. Well, it's always nice when you can go back to movies that you liked when you were a kid and, and see, have them still be, you know, good or see things in them that you didn't see before. Uh, my, my partner, Mike Finnell, who's uh, produced most of my movies, uh, had, he told me this, when he was a kid, there was this movie that he saw and it was just so upsetting and, and he always had this vision in his head of this scene where this, this, this guy in a cape is standing on a porch and a, a light comes and the guy falls down and then they pull the cape off and he's a skeleton. I said, uh, Mike, that's plan nine from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're a kid, yeah. you know, you don't yeah, know, you right. don't notice the cheesy back cloths yeah. and you don't notice the, 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 the cardboard tombstones and all that. <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just pull what you need out of it. You've had, actually, so many of your movies have a lot of amazing special effects in them. Again, Inner Space, for example. But, and it's so over the top, the special effects. Was that challenging to do when, when you were making that film? Special effects are always challenging. I mean, it, 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 the bar changes, you yeah. know, uh, and the technology changes. And uh, now we have CGI, which uh, is a, a wonderful tool to make, you know, the sky look green, <laughs> whatever you want. Um, and it's, it's, it's much more prevalent in movies than you think. I mean, there's so many movies that you've seen where they're just what looks like an ordinary scene is actually almost and totally fake. Uh, you yeah. know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cityscape that goes on forever, or it's a sunrise or a sunset or whatever, and, it, and, it's, and it's not real. All of which was great. But uh, I harbor a, an affection for practical effects, and practical effects are the things that you do on the set. Like, for instance, the Gremlins were puppets, mm -hmm. and uh, they were a pain in the ass <laughs> to work, uh, and they were very complicated, and it took many, many people to make even one Gremlin look like it was doing something that made sense. <laughs> but uh, it was worth it in the end, because not only do, do they have a tactile presence, but the other, it gives the actors something to relate to, something to look at. I mean, I've done movies uh, later, uh, like I did a Looney Tunes movie, where the characters were never on the set because they have, they're always going to be put in as animation later. And so the actors have to be able to be trained to look at a certain point in space 
that when you put a character in there will look like they're actually looking in the right place. Brendan Fraser was particularly good at doing that. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's much more difficult for the actors. When, when, when the, the, the green screen Star Wars movies started coming out and you had these mm. scenes with all these very you know, classy actors on these green screen sets and, and the, you get this impression that they don't know where to move because there might be something here or not and there's, they, don't, they don't know the boundaries of their set, they don't know where it ends, and there's a certain tentativeness to the acting in those scenes. Um, and I think it's much easier to just do stuff for real, or as much as, a, as real as you can make it, uh, without uh, having to um, ask people to imagine stuff. As, you know, in all the Ray Harryhausen movies, obviously they were, there was nothing there for the people to look at, and they had to, they, they had to master doing, well, it's over here now, and it's over <laughs> here now. It's, it's very hard to do. Uh, and I, so I, 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 I'm a big fan of practical effects. I think uh, a combination of practical effects and CGI is probably the best combination. What did you grow up on as a kid that made you connect with that had practical effects? Well, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the 50s, and, and you, know, the, you, guys are, you guys look at the 80s the way I looked at the 50s, yeah. because you're looking back at the things that affected you when you were kids. And, and, and in the 50s, I was, this was the atomic fear age, and you know, all the, every time a plane flew over, we thought it had a bomb in it. Uh, and so there was a lot of paranoia. Uh, but there were also a lot of uh, science fiction and horror movies that, were, that taught you not to trust authority. Uh, and that the, your friend the Adam was maybe not, not your friend. Um, and, uh, and a number of them, uh, you know, some of the pictures, War of the Worlds and Forbidden Planet, This Island Earth, those pictures all had state-of-the-art special effects for, for the time. And, and, and many of them still hold up today. Yeah. Uh, and so the idea of seeing things that were, you know, if, if, uh, Billy Wilder, I think, once said, if I want to see what people are doing next door, I'll go next door and see the guy next door. And you know, I don't want to make movies about the guy next door. I want to make movies about things that people can't see next door. Uh, and so I got into this whole idea of making things that were bigger than life or, you know, weirder than life. When you do the guy next door in the burbs, <laughs> there are uh, cannibalistic maniacs that are living next door. So. Well, but that was based on the idea that almost everybody that you talk to can talk about a time in their life where they lived in a neighborhood where there was somebody, there was some house or some family or some group that everybody was afraid of or everybody would talk about it. Every, everybody would, would be afraid, oh, don't go to that house. There's crazy people in there. You know, and it, it's, it, was, it was really quite common. And I think that may be one of the reasons why the picture is still so popular. I agree. I mean, yeah. Yeah, the Burbs, I, I feel like you mentioned this at one point, that the Burbs could really be like a stage play because it's all limited to one neighborhood, one... one well, there was a writer's strike that, that, <laughs> that year, and, uh, and so when we were doing the movie, uh, they, we said, well, let's do it. They wanted to do it. They wanted to do the Burbs in a real place like in Arizona or something like that, and I pointed out that, you know, we blow up a house. People don't like it. When, <laughs> they, don't, they don't like it when you blow their houses up in neighborhoods. It makes it very difficult to get the permit. Uh, and so I said, besides, this, this shouldn't be a realistic movie. This should look like a backlot movie. This should look like a 40s or 50s kind of movie. And so the Universal backlot had recently been reconfigured because Steven Spielberg built Amblin on what was the old backlot, you, which you see in Leave it to Beaver. Uh, but it was a great backlog, and they took, a, they took the houses and they willy-nilly put them up on a hill next to each other. So you had houses from a 1930s movie next to a 1950s movie next to a 1970s movie, and so there, there was no um, integrity to the 
to the, the plan of the, of the place. And it was, so it was, it was just that off, just slightly off, but, but very homey and looking lived in. Uh, and so we said, well, let's do it up there. <laughs> and, um, and we were the only picture shooting in Hollywood that summer because of the strike, the writer's strike. And um, there was just us and the raccoons and the deer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was really a lot of fun to go to work every day because with that cast was so much yeah. fun. And because we were, we, because we were able to shoot it all in one location, I said, look, let's shoot it in sequence so that if, we, uh, if the actors decide to ad-lib something or take, the, take it in a different direction, we can, we can follow it, you know? And, and we can, as opposed to other movies I'd seen where people would do improvs and the improv didn't quite work because it was, it was not, they, they had already shot the part that comes after the improv and it didn't match. But this way, if, if, if we want to find out why Tom Hanks didn't go to work that day or that, you know, if he's good, it turns out he's been fired or whatever, we can, we can work that into the, <laughs> into the script because the writer was not allowed to be there. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's in the movie. I, I hired him as an actor, <laughs> which I which I often do with writers to get them on the set. Yeah. Um, but in this case, we we really had to kind of make it up as we went along. And it was, and what's what's funny is in the first mix, you could still hear the Jaws ride in the background. <laughs> 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 and then there's the and then there's the tour. You know, the Universal yeah. tour. Yeah which makes much more money than any single universal picture. And so <laughs> all, of the, uh, all of the stuff that they do at Universal and have done since the tour started, uh, the movies take second seat to the tour. If the tour comes in, they don't want to stop shooting. So what they do, and I, I, I remember this because I, I remember the first time I took the tour. I'm on the, I'm on the tour and I, I look and I see Claude Akins is over there doing a scene from Sheriff Lobo. And with with some other actor, and there, and the, meanwhile, the announcer of the tour is going, and over here we have a contact and they're they're shooting, and, and they're, they're, it's uh, and and everything is dubbed later. That's why uh, I, when you watch a Universal TV show, there's a certain hollowness to the sound because almost all the dialogue has been added later because yeah. they, you can't use any of the dialogue while the tour is going by. <laughs> Very interesting. Wow, Brendan, can you talk a little bit about how you got connected with? Secrets of the Mogwai. Uh, sure. Um, it, this is the case where fandom came in handy. Um, uh, Audrey, our exec on Gremlins, I've known for a decade or so, had worked with her prior. We were just doing like our every six months, kind of like, oh, just catching up, grabbing lunch. And she's like, oh, we might be doing some things with Amblin. And before she even, I think, finished saying Amblin, like, if it's Gremlins, I want in. <laughs> um, and like three wow. months later, she's like, so you're in luck. We actually yeah. are. Uh, and that was it. Uh, Zichan, who's the showrunner, the other EP, um, he w came in with the take that was like, I don't know if it was him or somebody else of the doing the prequel, but he had the fleshed out version of it. Um, so yeah, I just met with Z at that point and was blown away by his, as he laid it out of like, it was, like Joe said, it just made sense of, like, this is how you tell another story. You don't have because it is, I don't I think you may have said that Gremlins 2 is sequel-proof. Um, it is, I don't know where you go further from that point. So it wasn't said, like, oh, but to go back in time, and especially grounding it in Chinese mythology. And it's just a totally different angle that you haven't explored yet, and it's just a really fun way to flesh out the world and do so much more with, uh, with the Mogwai, and also with Mr. Wing and seeing him as a kid. Um, and getting to introduce a whole lot of other elements to play with, so it's been super fun. But yeah, the fan, if I hadn't uh, interrupted somebody 
with uh, to express fandom. I wouldn't be working on it. Well, clearly That's you're not a fan because you're wearing a sweatshirt that has a bunch of Ghostbuster characters on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it is, yeah. Officially licensed. How many, uh, how many episodes is it going to be? We got 10 episodes uh, in season one, and uh, season two are, is currently in production, which will be another 10. So, yeah, uh, 2023 and beyond. That's fantastic. Yeah. 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 Wow. And you guys, you guys started uh, pre-pro in... 2014? I feel like it's been... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 2019 yeah. when we began. So we like, had one full yeah. year in person before yeah. everything happened. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's been the, the joy that animation was able to continue into pandemic, no problem. Uh, I've gotten to see every actor's closet because they all had to, as you guys as voice actors, <laughs> right. yeah. everybody yeah. turned their closet into their <laughs> makeshift studio at home. Right. So um, right. it's been really fun to see the inside of everybody's stuff. Definitely, uh, there's one actor in particular who I don't think we've revealed yet, but once we do, I can officially say has the nicest closet of anybody. Mm -hmm. There's like a clear winner. Um, our gizmo, AJ Locasio, had maybe the most makeshift uh, of the batch, but um, no, but it's been, it's been great. Uh, I'm so proud of the show and so excited for everybody to finally see it at some point. Someday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to beat Howie Mandel, though, you know, as the... Oh, Howie's a classic. Yeah. Howie's a classic, but he, Howie didn't want to be gizmo anymore. No, no. But when he was Gizmo working with Howie, uh, I mean, it's, it, it, it's like to this day, it's an often imitated voice. Well, he actually, Howie had done that voice previous. Yeah. Uh, he had, a, he had a, a, a sort of a baby character. Skeeter. He yeah. was a Skeeter in yeah. Love of Babies and then Bobby's World. Yeah. So he, it was, it was coming from somewhere and, yeah. uh, and he was obviously, he was great. And also he's an ad-libber. Ad-libbers are great. Brendan, you were saying you're fanboying, um, and Joe's, well, having Joe here, when you're, is Gremlins your top Joe Dante film? Uh, Gremlins and Gremlins 2. It's kind of, it can depend on my day okay. between the two. Um, Inner Space and The Burbs would probably be the other ones right up there, and Howling terrified me the first time I saw it as well, so we kind of get to jump, jump between them. I also have a soft spot for Matinee. Yeah, yeah, really absolutely. Matinee. matinee fans out there? Any Matinee yeah. fans out yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um Interspace, was, was there ever an idea that Interspace would be a sequel or have a sequel? Uh, I don't think it was planned, but if you look at the movie, it looks like it's yeah. set up for a sequel. We was really hoping there would be. Well, the, the idea of having the villains uh, you know, only being this big for the entire <laughs> sequel was pretty daunting. The size of a gremlin. You yeah. know, we could do that now. Small soldiers, you tackled that yeah. pretty much. Yeah, that, that was Gremlins 3. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Small Soldiers, I say, is the, uh, well, it's not R, but the R-rated version of Toy Story. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's the action version of Toy Story. Uh, you, you do such a great job, though, I think, of making movies that are accessible to kids as well. I mean, I think you know, not all of your films are PG or PG-13. However, they all can be, like, there's an aspect that has that family-friendly but also terrifying, too. You know. You've ever been in a family? Well, I mean, my, my son, my son, for example, when we watch Gremlins, the first one, he loves, he loved the scene where the mom is attacking all the gremlins, you know, and he was just like, this is so great. He was just cheering practically, you know, and which was to me, I was looking at him going, this is awesome. This is, I want to show him, I can't wait to show him Gremlins too. Yeah. I was going to say on that, because it was something we talked about in the writer's room that we tried to keep in the show as we rewatched both Gremlins movies a whole bunch, it's always... It's a kid's entry point to horror, we kept always saying. Yeah. It, it felt like it's like, okay, it's, you know, it's the mom being attacked, but it's like, it's your mom kicking ass. 
Totally. It is, right. I think you've said it in things, it's a boy and a dog. It's kind of like there's elements that always ground it back to this kid point of view, this kid wish fulfillment, this kind of like you want to be on this adventure yourself. I love seeing a mom kick ass, yeah. by the way. That's really great. <laughs> um, so would you say making movies in the 80s was, was totally different than it is now, obviously, with the, <laughs> completely 100%. But this, in this idea of nostalgia, keeping these movies alive, uh, revisiting them, and having a, more of a fondness now, is there a film, you said the inner space is, is one, but are there films that you look back on in the 80s specifically that, that you have revisited and go, I have more of a fondness now for it than you did back then? You mean of my own or other Yeah, of yours, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's like asking, you know, which one of your kids do you like the best? You well, know, I mean, like, that's well, easy like, to answer. I like the little crippled one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they, uh, they, all ha they all have, um, they all have things that annoy me, and they all have things that make me happy. Mm -hmm. um, and um, sometimes I'm just, mar I, I marvel at the fact that the scripts are so good, uh, very frequently are. Uh, and so, and sometimes I just get lost watching the actors. You brought up matinee. Oh yeah. And that's very, is that a personal film to you? Yeah, I was the same age as the lead kid in, in, uh, in, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and, which we all thought was gonna be the last day, uh, last weekend, and no school on Monday or ever. <laughs> um, and um, so, there, it, and there's a lot, a lot of stuff, of my, a lot of the uh, props and things that the kid has in his bedroom are stuff from when, I, from when I was a kid, drawings that I made when I was a kid, oh, wow. movie posters. I mean, it, in that sense, it was, it was all very personal. But unfortunately, no, no horror movie makers came to my neighborhood and uh, <laughs> we wanted to premiere their new movie uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mostly, we just worried that we were <laughs> not going to be able to grow up. <laughs> you've, you've stepped away from obviously making movies, but, but do you, what do you, have there any, have there been any movies of recent that you've saw and go, wow, that's something that needs to be appreciated more or? Well, I would recommend uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, uh, which is, uh, I think, the greatest stop motion movie since King Kong. Wow. wow. Oh, that's really cool. It's, it's really good. Because I think that's obviously having you on our show and, and people talk about, well, I, I love inner space and I love the burbs and I, you know, and you were thinking, well, where were these people when the movie first came out? Well, <laughs> right? Some of them weren't born. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's true. And like most, most movies that we do cover on our podcast, it, it, there are like second lives, you know, uh, video stores, obviously. Uh, and HBO, usually, you know, cable yeah. that just picked it up and then there were just... You know like, what HBO stands for? Hey, Beastmaster's on. <laughs> I did know that. I did know that. I did know that. That's really good. That's really good. You just hit us with two things. Pinocchio is the best stop motion since King Kong. And Beastmaster. And Beastmaster. <laughs> Whose name is Dar, I believe? Dar. Is that what, yeah. Don Coscarelli directed yeah. that. I love yeah. that movie. Yep. Um, Interspace, uh, thanks to our good friend David Irons, he uh, brought up that Interspace was one of the first movies to ever come out on VHS in widescreen format. That's right. Did uh, you fight I for am, that? Or? I am very proud to say that uh, I got it done. Wow. Amazing. So I will say, as a child, watching it on a 13-inch TV, <laughs> when it first came out, I said, I can barely see the picture, right? Because it was so small, not understanding or recognizing the whole importance of widescreen versus pan and scan. But well, people, now, I remember Woody Allen complaining that uh, when, when uh, Manhattan, Manhattan came out, with Letterbox, 
Uh, and he said, people wrote and said, when we saw the picture in the theater, they had heads and, and legs, and now they don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you explain this stuff to people. But now we have widescreen TVs, and uh, everything is, you know, I, I would have made many more movies in scope if I thought that they weren't going to end up being banned and scanned. How hard was that to get, to get that actually pushed forward? Uh, that was, was, Spielberg was very supportive. He, he, he was, and, and I was on a DGA panel about, uh, you know, trying to make sure that people, that movies weren't colorized and that they were shown in their proper ratios and all that kind of stuff. And so that was kind of a... Um, um, a thing that was going on at the time, and this was sort of in the forefront of it. And it was like, well, if this, if this sells, then I guess we can do more of it. And, and it became common. Yeah, it seems like Interspace actually got a, a bigger shelf life once it premiered yeah. on VHS, and that's fantastic. Everybody on this panel is uh, a creator of some sort, and I was just kind of curious what everyone fi finds to be the biggest obstacle um, outside of your own, you know, personal talents and things like that. Is, is the greatest obstacle the studio? Is it the, you know, like without, you know, we don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but like to me, you know, having produced television, I always said, this would be so fun if the network didn't exist. <laughs> you know, like, because they always weigh in with like the Yeah, but unfortunately stuff. somebody's got to give you the money. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> of, of, yeah. of course, but, but you know, you mentioned Paramount, is that? Well, that was just, a, that was a particularly bad yeah. situation. I, I, it was nobody's fault. I mean, it was just this, they, it was a change in, in uh, leadership, and they decided that they didn't want to be tarred with the makings of the leavings of the previous administration. Um, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I always feel like it's um, it's weird. It's the double-edged sword of it. One, it's they're the only people who can actually finance it. But it is, it's just the hardest part is the first step. It's getting one yes is the infinitely hard part. Um, just because everybody wants that, yes. There's so many projects going forward. You have no idea what else was pitched that day, what else, how anybody, even just an exec was feeling. I've been grateful, though. I'd say I've had more good execs than bad execs in my days of working on shows and, like, coming to 20 years now type of thing. So, yeah, I, I do think a lot of times, and especially on Gremlins, we've actually had Warner Brothers Animation and Amblin could not have been more supportive, and inter both financially and creatively, so it's like, they add a lot. They are sometimes the fresh perspective that's needed outside of a crew, outside of like the exec producers or directors, stuff like that. It's like, oh, we did miss that. That is a good idea to think about. So I always feel bad. It's like you shouldn't, I don't ever want to throw them out because there's a lot of good stuff that comes out of the process. It's just, I wish they had more yeses. Yeah. And if it, if it, if it, if it wasn't for these people, we wouldn't have jobs. Yeah. You know, so uh, there's a certain responsibility no, that, that comes with that. That yeah. is an absolutely great point, but a lot of times the person who's overseeing the project, you know, might not have a knowledge well, of something like sacred or characters. Or what's worse, or, sometimes they're uh, actively against the project, that it's being, yeah. it's being made over their objections, yeah. Yeah. and nonetheless they're still in charge of it. So they, they, they still tell you what to do, even though they would never go see your project. They don't care <laughs> about your project. They don't give a shit about anything. Uh, and, it, but that's just, that's just the, the way that the system is set up. And, 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 and that, that isn't going to change. I mean, that's, we're, we're always going to need patrons. We're always going to need people yeah. to be able to say, Here, here's some money, do something. The, <laughs> the, 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 the problem is that once they hire you, they should let you do it. They hire, why don't you let mm -hmm. me do what I do? You know, they hire people for their talent, and then they second guess them. Yeah, yep. yeah. And and that always, almost always, ends up badly. Yeah. yeah. We want to be mindful of your time, of the 
room's time. Uh, we want to open up to a few questions. Does anybody have questions? Okay. All right. Why don't we start in front? Peter, why don't you ask? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, two yes. pieces. Oh, the question for anybody who didn't hear was Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith, uh, who you've worked with a lot, um, is any of his music in the new project? Yeah, I don't know if we're, I can say which, but yes. In the front, uh, in the third row, go ahead. Um, no, Erie, Indiana was kind of a, um, a forerunner of the X-Files. Totally. It was the yeah. ju junior X-Files. Um, and it was not my idea. It was uh, Carl Schaefer and Jose Rivera created the show, and they asked me to do the pilot, and I, I enjoyed doing it, and I stayed on uh, to be the, quote, creative consultant, which I, I you know. <laughs> Which, 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 is, which is, a, which is a, a, gr a great job because you get to tell people stuff and if they don't do it, you go, eh. Um, <laughs> and you get paid for it. And you get paid for it. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it turned out that uh, I remember we ran the, um, the pilot for Warren Littlefield, who was head of NBC at the time. And uh, I remember he, they, don't, they don't like to in the room tell you that they like you or don't like you. They just are polite. Uh, but I saw him turn to some guy and mouth, it's great. <laughs> and so we, got, so we got picked up. Unfortunately, uh, we got put in a, the time slot opposite 60 Minutes, which is one of the biggest shows on television. Uh, and our lead-in was uh, two disc jockeys with a sort of a disc jockey Mark and Brian TV show, which no one was particularly interested in. <laughs> and so uh, we, we got terrible ratings. And, and uh, they, a little later, they decided that they, the problem with the show was that the lead kids were too young, and they wanted to introduce an older kid hmm. uh, and, um, and, and get rid of the, of, of, of the kid that we had. Uh, but then the whole thing fell apart anyway. And, and so the last episode of the show, uh, the lead kid discovers he's in a TV show and he's being replaced by this other kid. <laughs> and uh, that's, the, that's the episode where I play myself, uh, a role I was terrible in <laughs> after a lifetime of, of rehearsal. <laughs> Still terrible. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a great episode. Uh, it was a wonderful show. It's not that easy to find, although I think it's on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. um, but it also suffers from the fact that, uh, you know, although it was shot on film, it was edited on tape, and they didn't save any of the film. So they can never do a Blu-ray, they can never do anything nice. It's, it's, all, it's all from this one tape that exists. And um, it's, it's, it's okay, it's watchable, it's just a little, it's a little fuzzy. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a, I really love doing that show. Got time for one more thing in the back with the with a Wookiee hoodie on. For the uh, Twilight Zone movie, did you choose mm. the story that you wanted to direct? And if so, what made you choose the Twilight Well, when I was approached for no, the, the question Twilight was about the Twilight Zone oh, movie. Sorry. sorry, sorry to interrupt. Just for anybody who gets here. When I was approached for the Twilight Zone movie, John Landis and Steven Spielberg had, uh, had the franchise, and they wanted to make a uh, feature version for Warner Brothers. And uh, that... I. I was actually working on Gremlins at the time uh, in pre-production, and so I sort of, they said, well, let's have Joe do one. And then one day, George Miller came in and talked to Stephen, and he said, oh, there's George, there's George, let's have him do one. It was very, it was very ad hoc. Um, and 
the problem I thought with the, with the movie was that they wanted to remake old episodes, and I thought, well, this is terrible. This is you're going to make a feature film with feature film money, and you can now have money to make these stories that they were doing on Twilight Zone, but now you have real money to 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 spend on them. Let's do what Rod Serling would have done and adapt something that's you know hasn't been done before. Yeah. No, no, we've got, they've got, they've got to be, they've got to be the old ones. I said, but, but the stories, they, 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 they thrive on the fact that they have twist endings, and the fans know all the twist endings. So if you do this show, you're gonna, they're gonna all be ahead of you, and they're gonna, we, that's what we want. So I, I, I picked an episode which was is one of the best episodes actually. Uh, but I tried to change it around enough so that hopefully the audience wouldn't realize until halfway through which episode it was a remake of. Um, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun to make the, that, that movie, but of course it was colored by the fact there was an, a terrible accident sure. early in the shooting, and I didn't think they didn't go ahead with the movie, but they did. Uh, and so George and I were able to make this, these rather odd little episodes with big money behind them. Uh, and no interference from the studio. So we figured, boy, this studio filmmaking is pretty cool. <laughs> and they give you all this, all this equipment and all these big crews and everything, and they leave you alone. I mean, this was great. Well, we both learned on our next picture that that's not the way it works. It was, it was only because they didn't really want to put their hands on this movie because it was so controversial. So they just wanted to leave it alone and still try to make money from it. Um, but it was, uh, it, was, it was a great experience for us, and it, and it, it, it put, certainly put me on the map, and, and, and it didn't hurt George either. Really quickly before we wrap up, uh, Brendan, uh, is there anything you want to promote, or you want to shout out your Instagram, or anything <laughs> like that? Um, just, yeah. Gremlin, Secrets of the Mogwai, 2023, HBO Max. 2024. Uh, we, uh, 2024. <laughs> yeah, maybe all of the above. Yeah, uh, let's keep going. Yeah. We keep joking that if we don't premiere by next Comic-Con since we showed the pilot last Comic-Con, episode two this Comic-Con. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, Gremlin, Secrets of the Mogwai, HBO Max. Very excited for everybody to see it. Joe, is there anything that you uh, want to No, talk? I just I got my, my uh, website, Trailers from Hell, and I've got my podcast, The Movies That Made Me. Uh, which is a competing podcast, don't tell them. It's a little bit, we're niche. We're it's niche. a little different. Well, yeah. We're niche too, boy. Boy, are we niche. You can have two niches. You don't make any money, do you? Uh, no, but you talked about patrons, and we do have a Patreon page. If you go to $2 Late Fees Patreon page, please sign uh, Well, up. we have a sponsor, but we still don't make We still I'm don't working make on that. Money. I'm working on that. <laughs> but anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a great podcast. It is. Um, Brendan, Joe, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to have you both on our show. Uh, can we have a big round of applause for our two guests? And I gotta thick. say, I, I dance like the cowboy because of the cowboy. So uh, <laughs> thanks to the cowboy, that's where I got my lasso. I literally hook people in all the time because of the cowboy. Sing us out. Sing yeah, us out. I will. I, uh, Come on. That's, Do the know, song. I'm an old cow, man. I don't want it. I could get <laughs> in trouble, actually. That's my bunce. Hey. Thank you guys for all yeah, coming. Thank you so much for thank coming. Thank you, Geekscape. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an old cow hen from the Rio Grande, but my legs not bold and my face not thin. I'm a cowboy who's never seen a cow. I can't rope a steer 'cause I don't know how. 
And I'm not for to stop learning how. Yippee-yay, okay. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win. Even in the 80s. All right, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the Internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.